Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the videocast where we teach you how to make money and more importantly, how to make a difference while traveling the world. As we are traveling the world, we're currently here in Manila, Philippines. And one of the things we like to do on our show is interview fellow uh, expats who are living, working, and traveling through the Philippines. Uh, so I have one on the show here today who's a common friend of ours. His name, um, our common friend's name is Adrian, who's been teaching me Tagalog, and he's also been a pre previous podcast guest. So Adrian connected me with that guest today. His name is Louis Fo. And Louis Fo is uh, working with GK Enchanted Forum. Uh, it's an amazing organization here in the Philippines that's focused on education and poverty elimination. So we're going to be finding out a lot about uh, GK and GK Enchanted Farm. And of course, I guess Louis, who's uh, from France, but now he's living as an expat here in the Philippines. Uh, so Louis, bonjour. Bienvenue. Bonjour. Hi, Ricky. <laughs> bonjour, yes. Welcome. How are you doing today? Good. It's, um, it's a sunny day here in Bulacan. Quiet day. Everything's fine. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. I'm right in the capital of Manila, and it's uh, it looks all right. I have to go and explore a little bit after we do these interviews here. But it looks like a good day. And I, uh, I love interviewing people about their stories, and especially the journeys here to the Philippines. So uh, to start this interview, why don't we get to know your story? Uh, tell us where you're from. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what made you actually come here to the Philippines. Tell us the story. Okay. Um, so as you said, my name is Louis. I'm uh, French. I'm 25 years old. Um, I first came to the Philippines when I was 21, four years ago. Um, I was born and raised in Paris. Um, made my way through good studies uh, to business school uh, until just finding out that I was uh, being trained to um, to make money, to run businesses, but I was never really uh, asked, why do I want to do this? Um, so it came a point where I had to choose what to do next, especially what to do for gap year. And luckily enough, we don't know much about the Philippines in France, but we know quite well about Gawad Kelinga, Enchanted Farm, uh, as actually um, a platform to learn about social entrepreneurship. And it, sound, it sounded interesting to me, so that's what brought me here when I was 21. I uh, came here for a six-month internship at first, not really expecting uh, much. I was like, really, give me whatever you have available. Uh, and uh, that's how I started raising chickens, because they needed someone to, to make sure that we stopped losing money by raising chickens. Uh, so I started working with a bunch of farmers here. That's how I learned Tagalog also, because they're not so good in English. Um, and I got um, to actually put up my own project here called Freebirds. That I, I had run for I had been running for three months three years sorry three years uh, raising chickens here in the Philippines went back to finish my master's degree came back here now being in the Philippines full time still in the enchanted farm but not anymore focused only on chickens though we still have a couple of them that are used for training but now I'm in charge of a department called training and development and if you want my mission is to make sure that um, as many people as possible can learn from Gawad Kalinga and bring it back to their environment, whether it's their company, whether it's their school, whether it's local government, uh, is to facilitate that learning process, which I can tell more about after, but basically that's that's what I'm doing now. Awesome. And we can hear some of those chickens in the background. So they're uh, a little bit jealous because they want to be on the podcast today. So they're always welcome to pop in and uh, say hi to the audience here. All right. I'll <laughs> so, 
I want to hear a little bit of the history of uh, Govinda Kalinga. So a lot of people uh, in the Philippines, it's quite famous, and you said it's known in France. But a lot of our audience, they probably don't know anything about it. So uh, tell us about the history. Uh, how did it start? And what does it mean? What does the word mean? Um, in Eng how do you translate it into English? So the word is Gawat Kalinga, which means could be translated as to give care uh, or to do care. Um, and it is uh, today the biggest NGO in the country. And it was started, created in 2003. I, yeah, if I'm correct, 2003. The, the starting point was um, like basically trying to alleviate poverty in this country, starting by the most deprived areas, the most uh, dangerous areas in Bagong Silang, one of the biggest slums in Manila. Uh, it used to be a very dangerous slum. And the point was saying that if we can get there and, and convince the youth to stop violence, to stop going into gangs, um, then is the beginning of pacifying the environment and bringing people out of poverty. But we realized that this was not enough to try to help individuals, to convince them to get out of poverty. We needed to change the entire environment. That's where Gawal Kalinga started creating villages, communities, uh, for us to provide security for the different families and to raise kids in good conditions. Um, today, Gawad Kalinga created 3,000 of those communities around the country. So 3,000 intentional communities, which means they are built by the villagers. They are self-run. They have their own uh, elected, uh, I mean, council that manages the issues within the community. Um, and at the same time, GK created in 2010 what we call the GK Enchanted Farm, which is where I am now, uh, with the objective to create more opportunities in the province. Because if you want, as soon as the villages are created in the in the city, it's quite automatic. People are getting out of poverty over 10 years. Uh, we can see really a transition because kids are raised in better conditions. They study better. They get better jobs, uh, and they bring their their family out of it out of poverty. But opportunities are lacking in the province, so this process is not happening right now. Uh, as fast as we want. Uh, so the point is, let's create more jobs in the province, which is what's lacking. Um, and we need to create quality jobs. And for that, uh, only social entrepreneurship can do it, which means only businesses that care for the people and care for the country, which is at the core of the way we see social entrepreneurship. Um, and this platform, GK Farm, is created to enable entrepreneurs to start social enterprises because starting an enterprise you know how challenging it already is um you already run businesses yourself but running a social enterprise adds additional challenges because you really get into the life of the people you work with uh you get immersed in community issues uh, and you need yourself to be within a community of entrepreneurs of mentors uh, who can actually guide you can support you uh, for you to be able to thrive uh, in your enterprise that's what the farm is about it's also a place that allows to bring market because we have a lot of visitors every year. Uh, 12,000, I think, last year. Uh, we have mentors who come here. Um, we have investors who are attracted by the brand of Gawad Kalinga, by the name. Very hard to say, come invest in this young, talented guy in a slum in his business. Easier to say, come invest in this guy in the Jiki Gawad Kalinga Enchanted Farm. So we're building that trust. Uh, to attract the right people, the enabling environment to allow entrepreneurs to uh, to thrive in their business. That's what the Enchanted Farm is about. And that's the second phase of Gawad Kalinga towards end poverty, 
uh, actually by 2024. That's the objective of Global Kalinga. Ending poverty for 5 million families by 2024. Social entrepreneurship being one of the ways for us to reach that. That is incredible. What a mission, what a mission. I mean, uh, coming here to the Philippines is quite difficult and challenging as a foreigner. Uh, you know, even here in Manila, I walk down the streets and it's so heartbreaking to see little kids uh, begging for money. And uh, as a dad, you know, that's definitely, definitely very heartbreaking. So I'm very encouraged and inspired by the work of uh, Gawid Kalinga. So you've used this term, um, social enterprise. And of course, I understand it because I'm in business and, you know, all about making a difference while making money at the same time, even the podcast. And it's all about, okay, how do we make a difference? And how do we make money while traveling, right? That dual focus of money and, um, you know, impact. So uh, tell us about uh, the model, social enterprise, in terms of generally, but also specifically, like how does uh, the social enterprise uh, work? Because it's an NGO, uh, it's not technically a nonprofit directly, right? So there's profit plus difference. Tell us a little bit about it. How does it work? All right. Um, I'll, I'll try to say it more generally and then give a few examples. The, the basic principle of the social enterprise, uh, at least the way we see it, because there's always different ways of putting it, um, it's basically the business is at the service of the stakeholders. A lot of businesses uh, fail to actually provide well-being for all the stakeholders and would sometimes focus on, for example, the shareholders, um, which is extreme. Not, of course, companies, not all companies do that, but that's the extreme case. Social enterprise should be able to at least care for the four main stakeholders, which are investors, yes, suppliers, uh, employees, staff, people who work for the company, and uh, consumers. So the starting point of an enterprise is being able to care for those four people, for the well-being of those four people. So that means, very simply, make sure that investors are okay with what we give them. Some investors would agree to have very little profit. That's their choice. But we need to respect what they want. At the same time, we need to be able to respect what the suppliers want. So make sure that we pay fair uh, amount of money for supplies. At the same time, uh, our employees should be well paid, should have uh, security of tenure, um, should have their well-being should be taken care of. So some companies would, I mean, do it differently. Some companies would make sure that their kids would go to school. Other companies will give uh, a non-firing policy, which is very rare, but it happens. Some companies would uh, decide to really have like high benefits. There's different ways of doing it, but it has to have the, the core of it is the well-being of the employees as much as the other stakeholders. And the last one is the consumer. You want to make sure that the consumer gets quality products for the money that he puts or she puts. Uh, when sometimes we get to buy products that actually affect our health. So that's where the well-being of the consumers is not taken care of. A social enterprise should be able to care for those four stakeholders. That's its, its um, raison d'être, we say in French, the, the reason why they exist. Uh, to be able to supply those four well-beings, I mean, to cater to those four people, four categories of people. Um, now, in the case of the Enchanted Farm, the Enchanted Farm indeed is not a, um, an NGO anymore, a non-profit. It started as a non-profit, as an offshoot of Gawad Kalinga. But at a certain point, we realized that if we want to foster social entrepreneurship, we want to inspire people to start their social enterprises, we should be social enterprises ourselves. Otherwise, we're preaching something we know nothing of. So we forced ourselves, I think four years ago, to transition to being a, a corporation, a technically for-profit because there's no legal term for a social enterprise. It's, it's a corporation, a for-profit company. 
uh, with the objective of having a double bottom line, triple bottom line actually technically. But for us, we really write it as two bottom lines. One is our mission of raising social entrepreneurs for the Philippines. We have a target of uh, 500,000 uh, social entrepreneurs. The second bottom line is to be, of course, profitable. Because uh, if we're not profitable, we cannot operate. Um, and our third bottom line is planet, which is hasn't been our focus yet, but make sure that we also don't harm the environment around us, which is, to be honest, we're quite bad at it so far. Uh, I hope we can improve on that. Uh, but that's the basic, yeah, the one we're writing, people, planet, profit. Um, and for us, um, that's what makes it social enterprise. That's what makes it also very challenging. We're just about to reach our break-even this year. It's going to be big. I hope we can reach it this year. We're almost there, um, but we're getting better at it. Um, but for sure, we're on the way to raise more social entrepreneurs. Um, is that clear enough? Or would you like me to take another example of an enterprise? social enterprise that is very 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 clear i, I love how you defined it in terms of those four areas the investors the supplies the employees staff and then the consumers and uh, you know how you talk about the triple bottom line of people planet and then profit so yeah it's quite quite clear so maybe you can um uh, share how uh the social enterprise uh equips trains and supports social entrepreneurs like what's the what's the process Tell us about the training and how does it work? What kind of social enterprise are you raising up? Yeah. Um, if you want to try to, to answer a problem in the Philippines, which is a huge gap between uh, the poorest, the wealthiest, between the urban areas and the rural areas, between um, actually the resource and the market, basically. Uh, in the sense that the Philippines would rather import a lot of things like like chocolate, like dairies, like toys, uh, to name a few, would rather produce outside, uh, so use labor from other countries, rather than doing it inside, because it is it is indeed challenging to work with the bottom of the pyramid, to work with the poor, to work with the land. This is extremely challenging. Uh, and today, all the skills are there in the Philippines. You have among the best universities in South Asia, including in agriculture. Money is there, it's a growing country, the GDP is, is rising, there's huge remittances from abroad. Money is not a problem. Um, knowledge is not a problem. Market is not, not the problem. You have 100 million people living in this country. Uh, that's huge. And you have the South Asian uh, market that is also growing very fast. So everything is there. What's missing is there's no one in between, no one in the middle to connect uh, this market, this knowledge, this capital with actually the resources, which are the people, uh, which is the land. Um, so what we train, if you want, the way for us to train social entrepreneurs is to train connectors, bridges. Um, on one side, we would get them, for example, from graduates of top schools in this country, um, from mainly from business, but some of them went to law school, some of them went to advertising, bring them to actually work hand in hand with community members uh, that come from poor areas in the Philippines and create businesses together by bridging their competencies. To give you an example, um, everybody in the Philippines knows the tanglad juice, the lemongrass juice, that everyone can do is very simple. And usually that's what people prepare as a, as a welcome drink. Uh, but then we have a bunch of three volunteers of Gawad Killing Out, the farm, uh, five years ago, um, coming from 
a background in accounting, a background in chemistry, a background in marketing, to work with the mothers to develop, to bring this product to the market, to work on her recipe, uh, involve other community members to produce, and eventually put in the right business sense, the right science to reach the market. At first, their name is Bayani Brew, which means the, the brew of the heroes. Uh, at first, they were targeting, um, I mean, they were communicating as being the most uh, socially responsible drink in the Philippines. They didn't sell that much, but they shifted to the healthiest drink in the Philippines. So for that, you need to have an understanding of a market, you need to have uh, an understanding of strategy, of scale. Um, and that's where we were at first pulling this lacking competencies that the communities don't have. All they know is selling tanglad on the side of the road, selling peanut butter on the side of the road uh, in small plastic containers. So we need to bridge those competencies. That was the first strategy of the fund. A second strategy that is more recent, it's four years old. It's actually to go get um, the young leaders from those four communities and bring them to connect with uh, market, to understand market, to understand scale, strategy, to grow bigger dreams, to grow bigger ambition, uh, to work better together. So that's when we created a school called SEED, School for Experiential and Entrepreneurial Development. In this school, uh, we recruit every year about 40 to 60 students from all provinces around the Philippines. We have some all the way coming from Sulu, uh, some that would come from Nueva Ecija. Um, and we select them based on their leadership potential, plus the will that they have to bring their families and their communities out of poverty. We don't want to create shooting stars that would just uh, go fast and alone. We want people who go uh, together and even further. I'm just paraphrasing a quote that I really love, but maybe you noticed. Um, anyway, so we get those students into a two-year course uh, where we basically break their poverty mindset, which means we put them into a long-term mindset. We uh, push them to develop bigger dreams. We basically create a new option in their mind, which is you can be an entrepreneur. It's not enough to come to them and say, hey, guys, there's a big market, there's resources, just be entrepreneurs. This just saying this is not enough to make this choice real in their mind. We first need to convince them the hard way uh, that they are capable and that this is actually what they want to create businesses that will create jobs for their community. Uh, and that's a job that we do over two years plus one year of internship or business incubation or Gawal Kalinga mission. So we think we had them for three years. Uh, and after three years, they should be able to go back to the communities. And thanks to the network of GK as a supporting network, they can start their enterprises uh, already. It's only this year now that we have our that we have our first batch that graduated from those who came from all around the Philippines. Our first two batches came from Bulacan. A lot of them are still with us, but mainly working in the farm uh, or working for GK because we were not that good yet at pushing the entrepreneurial spirit in their mind. Now I think we've learned a lot. So the, the third batch is very promising. There's already nine enterprises that are being uh, that are uh, being incubated uh, out of originally 40 students, uh, more or less. Um, so we're very hopeful with them. And that's basically our strategy. Get people who are actually sons and daughters of farmers and convince them actually to help, not to go back to farming themselves necessarily, but to put in place the whole food system that is missing uh, to allow actually farmers to make a living, a decent and dignified living 
out of their land, which is not the case today, because access to capital, market and knowledge is not existent. They are the bridge. Because they're able to bridge this, their community now can actually produce in a sustainable way because they bring in the value added, they bring in the market, they bring in the knowledge. So a lot is on their weight. A lot, is, a lot of weight is on their shoulders, but uh, they are proving to be very capable and they are honestly one of the main reasons why I'm still here. I remember you were wondering why the hell is this French still in the Philippines? And I'm learning so much from those guys that have such much bigger dreams than me, at least when I arrived, though they have nothing to start with. I have good education, I have supporting parents, I have a French passport. I have a lot of privileges. Those kids have nothing, but they can dream much bigger. Uh, and they have an amount of drive and courage that I might never have because I never gone through what they have gone through. That is very powerful. You know, uh, you're very right in what you're saying. Uh, you know, I come from Canada, definitely one of the best passports in the world. I have very loving, supportive parents. So it's definitely very humbling when you come here to the Philippines and you see um, the issues surrounding the economy or just the financial situations. But when you see people who are driven and passionate and overcoming, it's definitely very, very inspiring and encouraging. So I'm curious to know about the, the social enterprise model. It's obviously quite popular in the world in the last decade or so. Uh, you know, even quite famous with uh, things like Tom Shoes, Blake Mikoski. Yeah. So for people who want to start their own social enterprise, uh, what are your tips? Uh, because you've been studying this for a while. You're obviously heavily immersed in it right now. You're training people to be social enterprise. So for our audience here who are listening and watching from around the world, what are your tips, advice, suggestions, uh, recommendations for people who want to start their own social enterprise? Okay. I try to do my best. I haven't started my enterprise myself. Uh, I've been running projects under the farm, so I was still uh, in the cocoon of the Enchanted Farm somehow. Uh, but I was still able to learn a lot along the way. And uh, I think a few things that came out that come to my mind when you ask me that question, when I look at the entrepreneurs around me, um, it starts by knowing very, very well why you do it. Because I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs giving up along the way because they started with the wrong foot. Um, and it's difficult to know why going this way or this way. And sometimes I think we're confused with the word passion. We thought we need to follow our passion. I've seen entrepreneurs who it's not their passion, what their the product that they have, for example, but they know it's their purpose to push this enterprise forward. Um, and one tip that I have here, which is something that actually just came up a bit out of the blue during a conference I gave a month ago, back in my school in France, uh, where I graduated from. Um, Somehow, through what I've seen with all the people that I've met, um, there are for me two layers of fears. The first layer of fear is the one that is telling you you're not capable, uh, you're not enough, uh, you're going to lose something if you try this, you're going to disappoint people, uh, you're going to fail. It's the first layer of fears um, that for me actually mainly come from the outside. Then you have a second layer of fears, um, which is the fears of seeing your kids growing up in a country that cannot feed itself, seeing your kids grow up in a dangerous country, uh, maybe seeing your planet go destroyed, seeing the, the, the forest is near you go destroyed. Even more, these are the fears that are related to what you have experienced. Some people who have gone through poverty, the ones I see here, the biggest drive is the fear that my kids will experience what I've experienced. This is the kind of fear that, is, that can drive you forward. 
it can also destroy you to be really honest a lot of people just stay and don't move because they're too scared uh, but if it's turned the right when it's a big work that we do with our students it becomes an immense drive that you don't want your kids to go through what you've gone through uh, and for me with the job of a starting entrepreneur and i think somehow actually even not an entrepreneur i'm not an entrepreneur myself i don't that job myself uh, on me i think we should all do it whatever the job we choose um ask ourselves what's the deeper fears that we have below all those fears that are telling us we're not enough we're going to lose something etc we're going to disappoint people and be able to connect to that one i realized that mine my greatest fear was not that the farmers in this country uh can survive it is hard to say that it's weird to notice but the fact is this is not my deepest fear this is the deepest fear of our students our scholars whose whose parents are farmers because they connect to it and i had to be very humble in saying that this is not my mission that's not where i am the most connected uh i'm not saying that no foreigner can have this fear uh, just because we're foreigners but it is not mine I realized that for me, my deepest fear, and that became my deepest drive, is that people who are who have had the chance to be privileged the way I have been, waste their talents on something that is empty and meaningless, and go unhappy in the process. I think that's my deepest fear today. And that has become my biggest drive. I want to make sure that people in my generation, however privileged you've been, uh, we don't go wasting our time and our talents, not only in jobs that are empty, but also in relationships that are empty and go unhappy in the process. And for that, for me, we need to remove or free ourselves from the first layer of fears that is telling us you're not enough, you're not capable, uh, you're going to lose your friends, you're going to lose the respect of people because you're taking another route. Um, try to transcend those fears and connect to the deeper ones, which are, for me, I don't want my generation to waste its talent and go and help in the process. And I want my kids to grow in a better environment in the future. So for me, that's the starting point of a social entrepreneur. Finding our drive there. Not necessarily starting from, oh, I'm, I'm very talented in drawing, for example. I think it starts by, or very talented in growing business. It starts by, what is it that I'm connecting the most to? And actually, it's very emotional. What do I most connect to emotionally? And then put in the right skills. Apply what I have to, to follow that track. That's one thing. And the second thing is don't see ourselves as one single element in the middle of the universe. An entrepreneur can only succeed if he has people along uh, with him or her. Uh, we need a community of peers. We need to start caring for people. I see a lot of managers that refrain from caring for their people uh, and they just they just go along. Their people never know how talented they actually are, how sensitive they can be uh, and how they care for them. For me, it starts by caring for the people around you and noticing who actually also cares for you because that's our future. The people around us that give us energy is our fuel. And if we don't know how to connect to that, we can't give also care and support for the people around us. But for us to be successful, we need the people around us also to be fulfilled in their mission in working with us. Their well-being should be uh, taken care of. 
Does it make sense? Yes, thank you for sharing. Uh, you know, you're sharing very real, very vulnerably, very transparently. And, uh, you know, I think I uh, definitely agree with your sentiments there. People need to find that deep inner purpose and passion and solve, uh, you know, the world's problems and uh, obviously make money doing so as well. So there's a lot of big questions you brought up in terms of uh, the fears, the purpose, uh, the drive, and of course, impacting others as well. So from a very personal level, Louis, you're in the Philippines, you mentioned you're in the process of incubation and you're looking maybe in the future to start your own uh, social enterprise. Tell us about that process because I'm sure you also have those, you mentioned the fears, self-doubts, like what am I doing here? Am I really supposed to be here long-term? And I'm sure you're going through that deep inner introspection. We all do that. I'm doing that too as a foreigner living in the Philippines. Like, is this really where I'm supposed to be? So tell us about that journey for yourself uh, because I think a lot of people can relate and identify with your uh, struggles, but also how you've overcome those struggles and concluded, yes, I'm supposed to be here. Wow, I love that question. Um, you know, when people ask you why you're here, um, there's always though, there's always a moment where you think, okay, do I go the whole, the full story or do I just give them what they want? Um, and to give them what they want is, there's so many opportunities, people are welcoming. Uh, it's, a, I mean, Asia is growing, those things. Um, but this is another reason why we stayed, to be honest, I believe. Uh, at least that's not the reason why I want to stay in the country because there's a billion others. Why would I choose the Philippines? There's other people where people are smiling. There's other, I mean, countries where people are welcoming and warm. Uh, there's other countries that are booming. There's other countries with actually less challenges or bigger challenges. Uh, I don't think we can choose where to stay with that kind of rational. Or, I mean, sorry, a lot of people do. Um, but I feel I had to feel a deeper connection for me to stay. Um, and the original reason why I stayed was because I was just learning so much from this place. This place was challenging the way I was. Um, I used to be quite superficial. I used to be, uh, and I used to have, a, I guess, a superiority complex, especially arriving in the Philippines from uh, coming from France, coming from uh, the school where I went to. And I could see how the Philippines was making me a better person. That was the first reason why I extended. I could see myself making me more human, more connected, more also uh, reliant on others. Because I used to believe that I don't need anyone. I can just fly and I'll help whoever needs my help. But um, I felt I needed to build bonds. I needed to be vulnerable and attached. Uh, and that's what I found uh, being here. And I could have found, honestly, I could have found it somewhere else. But came a point where I wanted to go deeper and really understand why I was here because I would still have every week like something telling me, why are you doing this? Like the Filipinos are not your people. Why are you helping them? Uh, it's so far from your culture. Um, isn't it just a romantic experience, a romantic parenthesis when you're lying to yourself? And I didn't want this to happen. Uh, I wanted to make sure that if I'm here, it's for a good reason. So I asked myself, um, and of course, you don't get the answer when you just ask yourself. Uh, but there was a certain point where um, I, I couldn't explain exactly how, but it came to a point where I just understood that I simply had love for this country. Just like when you love someone, 
it's not about listing down the criteria that make you love that person. It's actually a spiritual connection. Coming from someone who from from an atheist family somehow, uh, it felt weird at first, but it simply realized that, oh, I think there is a deeper spiritual connection with this country that is basically like a call that I have something to do here between here and France. And I would put it into the words that I think France needs the Philippines and France needs me to be the bridge. Uh, and I don't fully understand what that means yet. I can see it starting. I can see how with the school where I graduated, graduated from, how things are moving and how we're bringing people all over here uh, for them to be immersed in this community. And I think this is going to grow more. Um, but yeah, it came to a point understanding that it was like a call. And I was doing it out of love, not because it's an opportunity or not because I'm running away from something difficult or not because I'm hiding from the challenges of my country. Uh, though at first I was, it was easier for me to, to immerse myself in the poor here than going outside of Paris where it's actually dangerous. Uh, it was easier for me, that's true. Uh, but the fact is that has been my path. And now I've discovered that this is how I can be of use for my country and find happiness at the same time. Awesome. I love I love your analytical process there in terms of both the logical analysis, but more importantly, the emotional internal analysis as well. And uh, even the metaphor of the bridge building you mentioned earlier within the Philippines, but now you build bridge building literally across continents from Europe to Asia. Exactly. So very powerful, very powerful. Uh, one of the questions I always ask my guests is this. What is the vision for your future? You know, a lot of people who are travelers or kind of like this uh, global citizens, they don't even know what's going to happen next week next month, next year. But tell us a little bit about what does the future hold for you, Louis, uh, for GK, and for your future? Do you have any kind of inkling, you know, like five, 10, 20 years down the line, where do you see yourself? Um, to start with, I agree with the fact that we, we cannot plan what's gonna happen and um, we'll have to accept what comes. Um, but accept with guiding principles and accept by putting things into a certain direction. So if you want, it's more like, I don't have a clear vision of where I'm going to be in 20 years. I don't want to set a clear vision. What I want to be sure is to follow certain principles and stick to them. That's my only objective. It's being able to lead myself first. Um, and those guiding principles are first my commitments, committing to this country, uh, because I believe that this is, by being here, even if sometimes it's hard, uh, I make the choice to commit to this country, even if I don't know where this is going to lead me. But that's my first guiding principle, is this choice. Um, another, the second guiding principle is my mission of, as I was saying, the understanding that I don't want my generation to go to send our talents to waste just because we're going to all directions and we have no guidance. We were confused about what we're supposed to do, uh, which I always hear about millennials that were entitled, that were confused, that were uh, other things. And for me, this is what maybe it has been for a big portion of us, but this is not our destiny. Uh, and I want to bend that as much as possible because I think 
we have immense potential. We're so informed, we're so connected, we're so empowered, we're so educated. Uh, so it's all about just putting that energy into the right direction. That's my second guiding principle. I want to work on that specific mission. And uh, sorry, my second commitment. My third commitment is to someone, which I won't mention the name here, uh, but I believe also I will journey with her for, for long. Uh, and she's in this country. So it's, it also comes along. Um, and I know that we have a mission also, both of us, for this country, for her country and for mine. So these are my, my first guides, is those three commitments. But then my next, my next guides are my values, the values I want to stick to. And something that is important for me is that I want to be able to be challenged by every person I meet, to be able to learn from every person I meet until the day I die. And that's, that's a, a given. That's something as sure as the three commitments is that if there's a certain point where I start to believe that I know, that I'm an expert, that people should listen uh, because I have science to share with them, then I'm in the wrong path. So if you want, it's as if I'm facing at the future, allowing people things to come, but I have my, my guiding principles. Do I fit into those commitments? Do I fit into those values? And then another value is to never undervalue someone and always by definition, assume that people have something good in them. Because I used to be very judgmental being born and raised in Paris, where we're, we're trained to be, to judge on the way you're dressed, on the way you speak. So it's, it's uh, getting, breaking away from that, I guess. So these are my guiding principles. So basically that means I see myself in the Philippines for the long run, doing that mission between Philippines and France. Now, what exactly kind of what what kind of job is going to look like if I'm going to put up a school or a business? I don't know yet. I just know that the, those guiding principles are actually leading me towards there, and this is proving to be right week after week. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely good you have those uh, those uh, signals and those uh, principles, those foundational pillars that are guiding you forward. And uh, you know, no matter what happens, you'll be heading in the right direction because you're following the value system that's deeply internal to you uh so for the sake of the people listening and watching who want to support who want to help out who want to make a difference and contribute tell us about how they can help uh you know you on a personal level but of course um gawad kalinga and especially the gk enchanted farm um some people might be not in the philippines they might be in you know a distant part of the world and they're like well, how can i help this farm over there in the philippines so what can we do um, well, I guess it starts by, by checking out what we do. Uh, and if you're interested about sharing about it, because as you were uh, saying, Ricky, it's very important to share uh, that kind of information, I believe, uh, as long as you connect to it. Uh, so you can follow us on Instagram, on, 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 on Facebook. Um, but also you'll find all of our of information there for you if you want to intern, if you want to volunteer, if you want to visit us. Because we always believe that the best way to help us is to come make friends with us. Uh, and then who knows where this is going to lead? Like, you know better than us what you have to give, but we need to meet each other. Uh, so the first thing is come visit us if you're around. GK Enchanted Farm, you can find it on, uh, there's all of information on the internet. You can go on uh, Facebook, it's easy. Otherwise, there's a website for Gawad Kalinga where GK Enchanted Farm is also hosted, which is GK1 World. 
uh, where there's a lot of information if you want to volunteer. I think you can also donate, those, those kind of things. Um, but the easiest is follow us. You can follow me as well uh, and come with us as much as possible uh, here and enter the farm. Well, there you go. You got another reason to visit the beautiful Philippines besides the amazing scenery, the friendly people, delicious food. Now you can go volunteer, help out, make a difference at GK Enchanted Farm. I'll have the links below uh, to uh, Gawad Kalinga, the organization, and of course the farm and uh, Louis' personal uh, details too. So you can reach out and connect with him personally. So Lee, uh, merci beaucoup mon ami. Thank you for being on our show here today. Merci as well. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Yes, and I look forward to meeting you, as they say, IRL in real life when I go visit the farm myself. Yes, that'll be awesome. Please do so. I will, definitely. And I'll be making some videos, so make sure you follow us along at daddyblogger.com and uh, to check out all those videos when I go visit the farm for myself. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this very inspiring, enlightening, and educational episode. Uh, make sure you follow along on Louis' journey. Uh, make sure you support GK as well, Gawit Kalinga. And uh, make sure you follow us as well, daddyblogger.com. And we'll catch up with you guys in the next episode where we teach you not only how to make money while traveling the world, but ultimately how to make a difference. Thanks, everyone, and we'll catch up with you in the next episode.